It is hard to believe, man, today. This is the last Christmas service that we're having of the decade. That's a weird statement to say, right? Just, pro- just feel old for a second, everybody. Everybody just kind of want to feel old. And so here, I want to I see y'all faces. I want to see y'all, some of y'all regret. Can we can put the lights up? I want to see your faces. Anybody feel extra old, me saying that statement real quick? A little bit, yes or no? Uh, a little bit there. Right? Oh, it's all there. No, I know, but it's the last Christmas service of the year. Last Christmas service of the year. So uh, now with that, with that statement, I want to do say this, because this morning I woke up. I woke up a little earlier than I wanted to, which I don't know if that's, that's annoying to me to begin with, all right? All right? I, I get in a bad mood when I, if I have an alarm set for a certain time and I wake up, like, significant time before that, and I know I can't, you know, am I going to really go back to sleep to wake up in 30 more minutes, so now I'm just like, whatever? That was me. I woke up naturally two hours earlier before my alarm went off, before I wanted to get up, and then I'm like, I don't know what the deal is. I can't go back to sleep. Then I started to really sense, I'm like, okay, no, no, like, no, no lie, this morning was actually really difficult for me, and I was, exi- I was actually feeling and experiencing a little bit of, felt a little bit of pushback today from the enemy. I'm like, and I, it, it, I was still, I hadn't had my coffee yet, so I don't know if that's what, like, it didn't click fast enough. Because when it did, I'm like, oh, because this ain't normal for a Sunday situation. Usually, I'm like, oh, somebody wants to hear this, and they don't want to hear it. And so, so I was, I was, I'm feeling that today. So, but with that, guys, this is our last Christmas service of the year. And uh, one of the things that I, I was actually trying to process that, and I was thinking back, man, 20, about 10 years ago, we did our first Christmas service here as our church, because, you know, our church has been around for over 30 years, but about 10 years ago is when we decided to do what we're doing this, you know, not speaking in Espanol anymore, and so doing some English stuff, and so for those of you, this is your first time, why are there so many cars and so few people, where did they all go? They're in the bigger building because they speak Spanish over there, so over here we speak American, and so that's what we do, and so, but besides that, it's all good, it's all one, one family, all love, but uh, 10 years ago was our first, and this is the last one, and I was like, man, the first time in my first Christmas service that we did 10 years ago, I could not have predicted what had or what could have gone down, right, these last 10 years. I mean, 10 years ago, I only had one kid, and he was six months old. I wouldn't have predicted having three boys, number one. That's crazy, you know. Ten, and I would not have predicted starting off being a pastor and doing all that stuff. Me and my wife took off doing that, feeling God's call. I would not have predicted all of the events, the chain of events that would have happened over the last 10 years. Not would have done, you know, couldn't do that. But I was just then thinking, I was like, would I have liked that ability? You know, if God right now said, hey, I got a new spiritual gift for a new decade, and it's a spiritual gift of predicting the future, like, hardcore, would you want that? Would you want that gift? A part of me would. I'm like, well, it would be nice to be able to predict the future because, you know, a little side hustle, right? Make some money off the, I know who, what Super Bowl, what the Super Bowl champ's going to be for the next, you know, whatnot. Make a little side hustle on the side. It's information I know. I didn't steal the info, so it's honorable, right? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe not. But, you know, it'd be, I would have loved to have, like, gotten in on the ground floor, investing in on, like, Instagram before Instagram popped off. Just think about that. Ten years ago, most of these social media accounts weren't even around. A life before Snapchat, Instagram, you know, I think maybe Twitter was maybe. That's OG. That's, that's been hanging in there for a bit. But I would have loved to have gotten in early, invested in on some of those. Wouldn't that somebody, you know, you would have done that knowing that this was going to take off. You would have invested in early on this, right? I know if I would have had the, the ability to predict the future, tell me, I mean, I would have made better choices, right? Because I would have known, oh, hold on, I'm not going to do this because this will lead to this and this chain of event and this undesired result. So maybe, you know, I would have made better choices if I could have predicted the future. But the more I thought about it, I'm like, nah, you know what? 
I'm glad I don't have that ability because if I knew God was going to say this amazing thing is going to happen in your life about nine years from now, I'm an impatient person. I would want to hack and figure out how whatever is going to happen to me in nine months, can, can it happen like in nine days? And I would try to do that. That would be me. Like the anxiety of wanting something faster. I actually had to admit today to my wife because I already saw tendencies in my youngest one. Because uh, we put the, you know, some of the gifts for the first time under the tree. And this one's already, you know, the, the, the youngest one, JJ's, he's, you know, sprinkling it, you know, shaking it. It feels like, and he's doing one of those, like, assessments trying to figure out. You know, I used to be that kid, but I, I was worse. Like, I was a surgeon in taking off the tape and unwrapping it, getting a sneak peek before Christmas, and then putting it right back like nobody knew. That was, that was me. I was a ninja, all right? I was a little Christmas ninja. I could see it in JJ's face, so I had to warn Alicia, be careful. And so, anyways, we got to watch out for that because that was me all the time. I, if I knew something amazing was going to happen, I, I would not, like, I don't know, I'd be so distracted. I would be, so I, I'm glad I don't have that ability. But it, I, I do know this. If I had this ability to predict the future on point, I'm sure, I mean, like, if let's say today I was able to predict the Super Bowl champ for the, you know, it's going to happen, what, a month from now? You know, ish, a month or so. If I could predict the Super Bowl champ, or forget that, there's games going on today. If I could predict every single game and the score accurately, we'd have record attendance probably next Sunday, right? Because I'm either one or the other. Record attendance of what, what else is he going to say today? I want to know. Or the other one would be, yo, I ain't going back. That's weird. I'm like, no, no, there's something up with that. Okay, I don't know what kind of witchcraft that is. I'm not going to that church. I'm going to find another one. You know, dude, be, I don't know. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not show up before he exposes me, before I, you know, he finds out a couple of stuff. I got to get out of here. And so I know that would be the case. And if I could predict the future, would you not take everything I said seriously? If you knew, I could do that, right? If I could do it perfectly and not just say something is going to happen today but what if I could predict something that was going to happen to you 10 years from now and it was exactly how it happened how would you not like go back and what else did he say right or go back to YouTube go back to anything else I'm like what else did he say I mean if I could predict the future that accurately I am sure you would not doubt something that I would say if I had that track record right yes or no you wouldn't I just know it you wouldn't now obviously I can't do that but those words that you saw in the video today were not just empty words, not just fancy words. We've been looking at some of those words, and we're going to look at some of those today. That was written by, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by a guy named Isaiah. And Isaiah got to see a sneak peek of the Christmas story of what God was going to do in the world 700 years before it happened. In fact, this whole series, Unto Us, A Child Is Born, for those, if you don't even got 20-20 vision, a little scribble on the bottom, that's what it says. Um, unto us a child is born comes from Isaiah that he could see God gave him a glimpse and say yo something's gonna happen and this is what it's gonna look like and the way Isaiah could reflect in his the words was I see a child born I see a son given a God coming unto us because we couldn't go to him he came to us but it's one thing if Isaiah could have prophesied his birth which there's a few things we've been looking at over the last three weeks. Man, Isaiah said some details about the birth of Jesus that are spot on 700 years earlier. But what's even more amazing is what we're going to look at today. Because not only did Isaiah prophesy the birth of Christ, 
he actually prophesied the life and the death of Jesus, of that same son that was born, that that same child that was born, son was given. He was able to see the end of this son's life after growing up with accuracy. So if I could predict something with that kind of level of precision and you would not doubt me, I'm going to just challenge you. If this was, and again, happening with such precision 700 years before it happened, I'm just going to challenge you to lift any judgment that you may have on God's word. Because if he could be right about that, then what else could he be right about? If he could predict something 700 years and happen it just on point, what else? What else? What else could he talk about? And so we're going to look at that today. So I know, and one of the things, and now God's not trying to show off. When he's trying to say, hey, look, I'm going to tell you something that's going to happen 700 years from now, and it happens. It's not because God's trying to show off. He wants to show us that this son that would be born, this child that would be born, son that would be given, would not be just no ordinary baby. And that Jesus was not just going to be an ordinary man. And the life that this guy, this Messiah, promised person would give would be no ordinary life. And so let's look at Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to look at just a couple sections here. This, Isaiah now, after getting a glimpse of the beginning of this boy's life, God actually pulls back the curtain of history, or the future actually, even more, to show him, look what the end would look like, Isaiah. And Isaiah writes in this chapter, chapter 53, these details that come into light in an amazing way, culminates in the climax in the story of Jesus. Because Jesus, yes, he was showed up in a baby in a manger, but he didn't stay there. He outgrew that manger, and I'm glad because he went all the way from that manger to the cross. And here, look at some of these words Isaiah said 700 years before. He sees this Messiah. He sees this person that would be light for us into darkness. And all he could say in verse 5 is this, but he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. See, this is the price that this baby came to play. This is the price the baby came to pay. And what was this price? Look at the words here. This guy is suffering for what he didn't do. Y'all catch those words there? Look at that. He's wounded, crushed upon him, but for what? For our transgressions, our fault, our mishaps, our mistakes. He was crushed for our, you know what iniquity is? This is a fancy word. You know what that is? It's being hell-bent. Have you ever heard someone say that? Yo, this dude was just hell-bent towards, I don't know, it's a phrase. But to be hell-bent meaning, look, you and I all were born with this inclination to want to do the wrong thing. With this inclination to want to choose God, no, not God's way, the opposite way. That's what iniquity is. It's this natural default setting for everything that is not God. And that is just, I mean, could we help that? No. But it was him. He put all of that punishment, everything upon himself. And then for what? To bring us what? Peace. He paid this price so that we could have peace. And by his stripes, we're going to be healed? Think about that. This guy would be hurt so we could be healed. He was going to be crushed so we can be recreated. That's what he was doing. He, he really, he, his body was put into pieces so you and I can have peace. Now, I'm sure you would all agree with me this statement. Yo, that's not fair. That's not fair. I'll tell you right now, if, if you were at your job and somebody wrote you up for something that your neighbor did, you're not going to take, okay, well, I'm going to just take that iniquity upon myself. 
You know, no, you'd rat that guy out before, you know, before the, you know, he got finished closing his lips, right? I'm pretty sure as a kid, you ever got blamed for something that it was like one of your siblings did, right? One of those happens all the time, right? All the time. And so it's, it's one of those, it just, just naturally, man. I was like, and that, it, that's not fair, right? And you would say, if you got blamed for something or worse, punished for something that you wouldn't do, you would throw a fit. Yet this guy's being punished for something that he didn't do, and he's cool with it. Why? He came to pay. This is the price that he came to pay, and he came to pay this price because it was a problem. Look at the next verse. You want to know the problem is? Look at the next one. For we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord was led, uh, and, and the Lord has laid on him, that person, the iniquities of us all. Again, there's that hell-bent decision. The wrong ways of thinking, behaving, acting, believing. All of those things. And we, we were like, what? Sheep. I know, I know we look at sheep and, you know, that's, you know, cute and whatnot. You know, here's your dad joke for, for Christmas. You know, Mary had a baby and that baby is Jesus. And if Jesus is called the Lamb of God, did Mary have a little lamb? Uh, that's, that's your dad joke for Christmas. And so, right? And so there it is. And so here we have now, I know we look at the sheep and we're like, oh, you know, it's cute and cuddly. But listen, sheep are dumb. Okay, this was, a, this was a, there's a reason why he uses this animal. You don't see, if you've ever been to a circus, anybody ever been to a circus? I know it's like rare to see animals in circuses now. But uh, you didn't see a parade of sheep doing cool stuff, right? You know, you saw elephants and horses and different things like that, right? Why don't you see sheep? Because sheep are dumb, okay? Sheep do Dumb sheep stuff, okay? That's what they do. Sheep do dumb sheep stuff. And so, the, and this is the way they are. This is the way they are. I mean, I've, I've heard of stories that sometimes little bugs would get inside and they would lay, this is disgusting, eh, not really, it would lay little eggs inside of their nose. And if they're not careful that, that uh, you know, the bugs would hatch and the larva would climb up into their brain. And then the pain would be so excruciating that, that literally the sheep would just ram their heads against a rock just to end the pain and a lot of times they would kill themselves not trying to make it better they would kill themselves and that's what sheep do because sheep do dumb sheep stuff have you not done that I know I have have you ever done something to try to make it better only to make it worse that's sheep stuff that's sheep stuff or even worse and I read this article actually I heard a pastor Craig Rochelle tell the story I read the article in 2005 1500 sheep literally walked off a cliff in Turkey. Just walked off. Why? Because, listen, sheep wandered. You hear that? Look, for sh all sheep have gone astray. All sheep have gone astray because sheep don't realize what they're doing, and they're just like, oh, what's going on over here? And they just kind of want, that's why they need sheep dogs and, and herders and all these stuff to keep them in line because they just get into problems without realizing it. They're just here just trying to eat grass and trying to have fun, have a little, you know, a good little time. And then they get themselves in problems, and sheep can't defend themselves. They don't got armor. They don't got protection. They don't got, like, you know, fangs and claws. Just sitting ducks. They can't defend themselves. So these 1,500 sheep walked off the cliff. Why? Because, see, they all also sheep are herd. You know, they all, you know, go with the crowd kind of a thing. And the first one says, you know, what's this over here? And it goes to the edge of a cliff and just, oh, what's that? And then everyone else is like, oh, let's see what he's going to do. And, like, and they're all, all the sheep are just like saying, hey, everybody else is going over there. What do you, uh, don't leave me behind. Hold on, wait. And so as the first one goes, like, oh, what's that over? You know, just gone. There goes the first one. And then the first one goes and the other one goes, oh, well, oh let me see what's over there. 
Let me see what's up. 1,500, one after the other, after the other. 1,500 sheep just jumped the cliff because they saw someone else do it. Have you never done something like that too? Right? You saw someone else do it? Oh, that looks like fun. Oh, crap. Okay. Right? You ever done that? that that's, that's what sheep do. Now, out of the 1,500, all of them did it. And you would figure maybe the first 10, first 20. No, nah, man, by the first, or you would at least 1,499. But that last one, like, no, don't leave me. And just went. He went. Now, what's amazing, out of the 1,500, only 450 died. Only 450 died. You can use your imagination. The first 450 died. They created a nice big sheet pillow. So all the other thousand that was jumped off, they, they fell off. They didn't die. They just fell on the pile of dead sheep fluff. And it was like, nah, nah, it just went off. About a thousand of them that way. Now, that's crazy because, again, that's sheep. That's, you know, sheep do stuff like that. And that's us. Isaiah's describing that to us. We've all gone astray. We've all, because of our sin, we are all in a free fall. Falling, heading towards hell. That is hell bent. That is what iniquity means. That we are born on the fast track to hell. But this God that came unto us, just like the sheep, you know, we're free falling. We're, in, you know, we're heading to death, eternal death. That's each and every one of us without Jesus. Yet this Messiah would be crushed for our iniquities. Imagine then this Messiah jumping, passing us, him too jumping off the cliff, passing us. And because Christ died, when we land on him, when we lean on him, we live. Because Jesus died and then we fall down, we live. That's what he came to do. That's why we needed him. We've all, like sheep, have gone astray. That's the problem. Jesus had to pay this price because there's a problem inside of us. I know we can look out in the world and be like, oh, yeah, it's, it's easy to find out and point fingers. That's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. But if we could really be honest with ourselves, almost everything that we would say and look at and complain about, we're, it's a part of us. And if, if there was a button that we could press to end it, it would end you. It would end each and every one of us. But Jesus came. He died and rose back from the grave so that he can kill that thing inside of you without having to kill you. That's what the, that's what the cross was all about. To give us peace on him laid all the iniquities of mankind who ever lived. That was the price he came to pay, and he came to pay that price for all people. Look at this next one in verse 9. It says, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. He, this is a God, this was a Messiah that was going to come for all people. Because the problem is in all of us. And I love the, look at the descriptions, the wicked. Those who you know have messed up. And I, I highlighted the rich because sometimes we look at the rich we look at them, and we, we look at people who kind of got it all together. You know, I'm not just talking about people on bank accounts. I'm talking about the ones that on social, right? You look at their social feed, and it looks like, oh, they, they don't got a care in the world. They smiling on their feed, but, but really, they, you know, they're crying, on the, you know, they're crying behind all that. They're just so desperate. You know, here Jesus came for those who know they've messed up and for those who try to cover it up and be like, no, nah, I'm good. He came for each and every one of us. There is not one of us that I'm like, you know, now, oh, oh, Jesus, oh, see, here's who you came for right over there. You know, that guy, that guy. He came for all of us. And, and I got to stop, too. You got to catch the precision of this. Isaiah wrote these words 700 years before Jesus was crucified next to two wicked robbers. 
and buried in a rich man's tomb. First off, look at the, I mean, the, the phrasing in and of itself. This happened exactly how Isaiah saw it happening 700 years before it happened. I mean, all right, talking about the Super Bowl. I'm pretty sure some of y'all got favorites. Anybody have some ideas of who might make it? Could you imagine, could you imagine if I could predict the Super Bowl, but here, if I predicted not only the teams, if I predicted the exact minute to the second of how long the game would be, if I predicted the entire stat line, every stat that every person would have, and I could predict the score, and I could predict the viewership, the, the ratings, and I could be able to predict, you know, I mean, every little element, you know, what, what would happen here and in there. I mean, the details, if I could do it like that, you, I, I know you'd all be my best friends all the time. I'm like, I was like, hey, so, you know, you watching the game today? You know, what, what you, think? you know, I know that would be you. I know that would be you. If I could do that with that accuracy, everybody would take me seriously. Not that y'all don't, but you, you get what I'm saying. Isaiah saw the details of his birth and death with this precision. Again, God's showing off because he wants to show us that this person was not just going to be any person. It's not just going to be anybody. This guy, he, God came, Jesus came to pay this price because we all have a problem that all people have. And what's the final product? Look at this next verse. We, we saw it in a minute in the video. Look at 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he's going to see and be what? What's that S word? Satisfied. First off, this dude's going to be smiling through uh, by the end of this process. This, I mean, you saw the phrase is pierced, right? His, his hands and feet, his back, his head was all pierced with thorns and nails. That was just what was happening to Jesus. He did all of this, and he, is, he would see and be satisfied. Isaiah's literally predicting, and in verse 10, he highlights and it says it again. This guy is going to actually die, but God would prolong his ways and his days, and he's going to see the final result. Isaiah is even predicting the resurrection of Jesus 700 years before it happened. And all for what? I love this. By the knowledge, by us knowing this righteous one, by coming into understanding who he is, my servant, speaking of this individual, he's going to make many to be accounted righteous. Because again, there's that phrase, he's going to bear their iniquities. Guys, that statement. When he says, look, iniquities is wrongdoing, wrong thinking. Righteousness is making things right. He's like saying, all of the wrong that you have done in Christ, he's going to make things right. For all the wrong you've done, he's going to make it right. Some, not every single one. He did it so he can make things right. In fact, here's just the bottom line. If there was one thing I wanted you to remember, guys, it's this. That Jesus died and came back to life to give life to those who are dying. Jesus came back. To, he died and came back to life to give life to all who are dying. And I know. I know I've been there. Sometimes I can still catch myself there and I got to remind myself. Right? I know we've all used the phrase. I was like, yo, I'm just dying for Christmas to show up. I'm just dying to go on vacation. I'm just dying, right, to whatever, fill in the blank. We all got that, right? I'm just dying to experience this. Go here. I'm just dying to see my kids. I'm just, just dying to, you know, find that person. I'm just dying to. This is everything in you. It's just, oh, I just want it. And there's a lot of us, I know me, man, there's plenty of times I found myself, I was dying to feel something. I was dying to feel alive that I was willing to do anything and everything just to feel something because I was dying. And I didn't know that. And I just wanted to feel alive. And so I, I tried that. But and it was fun for a moment. Let's, be, you know, let's not 
let's not kid ourselves, we're never tempted to do boring stuff, okay? We're never tempted to do boring stuff, right? You know, so we're, we're tempted to do stuff that fun. It's fun, but it never lasts. It's fun, but it never lasts. You may feel it in the moment, but then it's like, then you got that whatever, either the feeling, or even if you don't got shame and regret, here's the thing, uh, that feeling never lasts. You got to keep running back to it. You got to keep running back to it, running back to it, because it never lasts. And that was me, man. I found myself plenty of times just dying to feel something, dying to feel significant, dying to feel loved, and I would willing to compromise anything and everything just to feel something. But that's what Jesus did. Jesus came to give life to those who were dying dying, those who are down, those who are desperate. Jesus is saying, I came to give you life. Some of you, you know, for, for some of you, that, that, that's a word that y'all need to grab on because you're trying everything and everything and maybe even trying the God thing. And it ain't for whatever reason, but listen, this life that God came to give you, it, it's, it's for real. I didn't understand it for the longest time. It took me a bit. And for, uh, and for everybody else, I want to remind you, if you got this life, man, you got life. If you got this gift that is in Jesus and you have it, you know, when you find yourself dying in that moment, you find yourself desperate, don't forget the gift that you have. This is not a gift that's, you know, you have to go run under the tree. And I, and I love even the analogies. I love the analogy of even just what is Christmas. We took all these pagan holidays, all these pagan things, turned it around to, to teach the truth. In the same way, man, and you know why we pick evergreen trees? And, and why a Christmas tree is an evergreen tree? Because the evergreen tree stays green. It doesn't grow brown. It doesn't die. It's a tree that even in the winter stays green. And that's our Jesus. That's the life that he gives us. That even in our darkest, even in our downest, we can still breathe and still be green and full of life. That's, that's who we have in him because that's who he is. That's who he is. And in the same way, that tree, what do we do? We wrap lights around that tree. We hang lights on a tree. And Jesus, the light of the world, hung on a tree for you and me so we can shine and never be lost in the dark again. And, this is, and, and the gift is not at the foot of this tree. No, no, he is the gift on the tree. It's him. That's this life that he wants to give each and every one of us, all who are dying, all who are desperate. And so if I was going to give you a gift, it's to remind you of this. Right? And this would be a great application for you. It's to remember. Because if Jesus came back... If Jesus overcame the grave, I'm going to put this statement up here. Check it out. If Jesus overcame the grave, you can overcome fill in the blank. Right? Let's put that last statement on there. I want you to see this. If Jesus overcame death, then through him I can overcome fill in the blank. You fill in the blank. Because guess what? There's not one thing that you would fill in the blank that would make that statement false. Not one thing. I don't care. If Jesus came back from death, then, then through him I can overcome this mistake. If Jesus can come back from death, then through him, I can overcome my past. I can overcome fear. I can overcome doubt. I can overcome anything that anyone has ever said to me. If Jesus can overcome death, then through him, I can overcome everything. There's nothing that would go there to make that statement false because that's the life that he came to give. It's life. It's life. It's life. That's what he came to give to all who are dying, all who are down, all who are desperate. Isaiah got a peek of that. And it happened exactly the way God called it. But I'm, I want to end with one more verse. Because if it was true, it's one thing to predict it, and it happened, right? But then, oh, okay, well, let's just say it was a, a guy, and the even though the probabilities, people smarter than me, 
do the math and the probabilities of someone fulfilling all of the prophecies of Isaiah that Jesus fulfilled, and plus, it's just, it, it, ain't, it ain't gonna happen, okay? But I'll just leave that alone, and let's, I'm gonna show you one last statement. In John, John did not see the birth of Jesus. John didn't see the birth of Jesus, but he did see his life and his death. John was one of those few who saw the resurrected Jesus for days after. This is the same John who wrote John 3.16, God so loved the world, rephrasing a lot of what Isaiah said, that God so loved the world that he would give his son, whoever would believe, would have eternal life, no more condemnation. No, nothing can hang over your head anymore when you put your trust and faith in Jesus. But I love John's intro because John has this, such a short recap and he remixes the Christmas story in a great way. He doesn't go like Luke or Matthew and talks about a baby. When he describes this Jesus, this Messiah, he doesn't say, a child is born, look, a son is given. He doesn't, there's no shepherds, there's no angels, no, no, no wise men, no, no manger, no donkeys, none of that. Look how, how John opens up his book when he goes to describe this light, the fulfillment of what Isaiah saw in verse 4. It says, in him was life. And I, I love the way, I really think John had a different approach of the birth of the Christmas story that we celebrate because John got to take care of Mary. After Jesus' resurrection, John was now Mary's caregiver until the day she died. I'm telling you, if I was John, I'd be like, Mary, tell me that story again. What that angel say? How Mary, could you describe to me what was it like? And then who knows if just Mary and, and as the years would go by and here now John probably heard that story from firsthand accounts from Mary herself. When John goes to describe that Christmas story, the beginning of our rescue, he just says, look, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and darkness has not overcome it. This is a present tense statement. John wrote these things 50 years after the resurrection. 50 years after the resurrection, here's what's happening with churches and Christians. They were being hunted and persecuted by the, Rome, by the Jewish temple because it was, uh, they were saying, hey, they're spreading false information. And they were hunted by the Roman government. Some of the two most two powerful institutions, especially Rome in and of itself in that moment. 50 years they were being hunted. 50 years trying to, this, the enemy and this mankind, they're trying to stamp out this light. And it's in this fire that was producing in this resurrection, Jesus, what he was doing. Because there was no Bible. There was no, you know, it was written. There was no Gospels. They all encountered, physically saw the risen Jesus. And that, I don't care if it's, you know, it's one thing to convince somebody of something that you misread. It's something to convince somebody something different of they saw something. They were there. And this, it, it, no matter how much they were going under being persecuted, and they're going through this whole known world, John, in his opening phrase of the gospel, he's saying the light still shines. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. And he's speaking present tense. Fifty years after the resurrection, Jesus was no ordinary guy. Because you could prove it. Because the light is still shining. Darkness has not overcome the light. It has not overcome the light. Our fire is still burning. The more Rome and the temple tried to stomp out the fire, the faster that fire, the hotter it burned and the faster it flew. 
Because Jesus was no ordinary guy, and the life that he gives is no ordinary life. No ordinary life. The light still shines, and I can predict this one thing with all certainty and all confidence. I can predict one thing about the future. John, I, I, God gave Isaiah a glimpse of the future 700 years before it happened. John, 50 years later, he's looking back. I'm like saying, hey, that light's still shining. Darkness has, we're still winning. Darkness has not overcome the light yet. We're still winning. We're on a roll. About 15 years after that statement. Well, John, it's been 15 years. Is the light still shining? Is, is the darkness, has the darkness still not overcome the light? Well, John, God now gives John a glimpse of the future. The book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, was written by the same John. And now John, when he writes the book of Revelation, it's not a statement saying, hey, 15 years after I said it, hey, we're still winning, light's still shining, darkness hasn't. No, his whole theme and God's theme in the Revelation is different. He's saying, uh, look at the end, John, what do you see? All I see is light. All I see is light, John says. And with that, I say, yeah, John, yeah, John, because in the end, Darkness has not overcome the light, and it never will. It never will. And guys, that's what you want to hold on to today. Hold on to this life. Jesus came to give that life to all who are dying, and this life is light. And this light cannot be overcome by any darkness, whatever you fill in the blank, whatever darkness of, of thoughts or emotions or past or future, anxiety, fear. There is not one element of darkness that can kill that light inside of you. And I can predict that as of 2019, the light still shines. Darkness has not overcome the light. In 2,000 years later, with all confidence, I can say in 2020, this next decade, the light's still going to shine. All the way up until the very end. All the way until the end. And if you have this light, if you have this light, there is nothing. No form of darkness can overcome it. Because if Jesus can overcome death, through him there is nothing you can't overcome. Nothing. And he's everything. He is everything. That's the life that he wants to give us. And so I want to challenge you. I want to do something today. I want to pray with you guys. I'm going to do something a little bit. This is a, during this time of year we like to do our, our candlelight service, which we're going to do that in a second. But I want to challenge some of you today. Whatever, I, there is something that you all had today. You've all walked in here. I guarantee you, you know, I did too. We all, if we can be honest, we can all put something in that blank. We can all put something in that blank. Maybe in that blank, maybe it's a wound. I want you to look at that blank. Because I guarantee you right now, if you look at that blank, I, you know, Holy Spirit is going to bring something. Maybe there's something in that blank that you can't stop thinking about. You can't, you can't get over that. Maybe it's, it's, maybe it's, you know, it could be a lot of things. It can be something that happened to you. Something that you did. Maybe it's a fear of the future. Anxiety. Maybe there's an unanswered prayer yet. And your faith is buckling because it hasn't happened yet. Or maybe God is coming through in a way that you can't understand and you don't figure it out. There's a lot that can go there. Do not leave this place with that in your hands. Put it in the blank. Put it in the blank. And thank Jesus that, you know what, you can feel overwhelmed from time. I ain't saying you can't feel overwhelmed. You can feel overwhelmed, but you can hold on and say, I might be overwhelmed, but I will never be overcome. That's different. I can feel overwhelmed, but I will never be overcome. That's different. And it's not because of you. It's not because you're going to try harder. 
No, let there be light. Don't make the light. Don't make it light. Because you know what make means? It means you try. You do it. You sustain it. Don't make it light. Let it. To let it means surrender. To let it means, God, you do that because I can't. To let it means, God, you sustain this because I can't. That's what it is.